a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The KSL Greenhouse. Information and great talk about your home, garden, and your lawn. If you love perennials, can't get enough help on landscape design, or just want to keep your lawn and vegetable garden pest-free, grab a pen. It's the KSL Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you. We are taking your calls. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. Tom, we wanted to start out the morning or start out the 9 o'clock hour talking about principles of water-wise landscaping uh, because right now is a really great time to do the planning. We can't be outside doing the wonderful gardening that we enjoy so much in the summer, but we can do a lot of planning right now and make a difference for next year. We certainly can. We've posted a fact sheet to the Greenhouse Facebook page called Principles of Water-Wise Landscaping, and it goes through a fairly thorough coverage of what to do if you're starting from scratch on planning a water-wise landscape. But even if you have an existing yard that you're wanting to redo portions of, it's a great publication for that. You know, I think the hardest part about this is it becomes so overwhelming for people when they start thinking about, like, for example, me. I I actually hired someone to help me out with the landscape plan because it just became so, the portion of the yard was so large, I couldn't get my head around it. So it's good to have a little bit of It can become very overwhelming, and a lot of of times people throw up their hands and say, oh, I'm just going to put grass everywhere because... I just don't know what to do. And I've seen this over and over as, you know, garden center I used to work at, people would come in sometimes and just wander for hours trying to figure out what to do. And this fact sheet tries to break down into digestible chunks, you know, just any bits on what you can do to plan this. And, you know, I think the first thing that people need to look at is what are they going to be using their yard for? Are you going to be doing a lot of entertaining outdoors or are you going to be inside all of the time? You know, are you going to have a vegetable garden and fruit trees or are you going to have a lot of patio area? And so just drawing a general map of your property with where the house sits and the driveway is And then just looking at things saying, you know, I want, you know, A, B, and C, and just drawing in roughly what you want. We're not defining plants. We're not really defining turf areas. We're just defining some general areas where potentially, you know, I want this area open. So maybe grass will go there. 
know, this area looks like maybe a good spot for a vegetable garden. And you do three or four of these so that in case something isn't going to work out, you've got, you know, plan B and plan C. Mm -hmm. But it's really starting with what you know you are going to do, what you know that you want first. Yes. And so we'll be posting a video later today. Uh, Andrea Simondi and her um, husband have done a lot of work on their yard and she drew a plan several years ago and what they wanted were areas in their yard that no matter what time of day it was they would have some place relaxing and in the shade that they could go out and sit and just enjoy what they planted and so they need wanted something that they could just entertain small groups and she spent a long time planning that but it could be totally different for somebody else. Right. Uh, they've included a water feature. Um, they've really uh, created these areas that are just so lovely uh, just to sit and enjoy the outdoors with, with someone. Yes. Or even just have. by yourself to read a book. They have. And so they don't have one central sitting area, but they have three or four that just like I said, there's always some place that's going to be shaded. They can hear trickling water, and it's just a really relaxing environment. Right. So, so, so yeah, you're pretty much back to you have to decide how you want to use your yard. You really and do. And how formal you want it to be, right? Yes. And, you know, are you going to have a very formal yard or a less formal? And then once you start deciding these things, you can start getting into – you know, how's your soil? You know, if you live in areas of Eagle Mountain or Bluffdale along the Redwood Road corridor through Utah County, the soil in those areas can sometimes be a little suspect as far as salt, the irrigation water. And so doing a site analysis is also going to be very important. You know, if it's a brand new area, test your soil, test your irrigation water through USU or BYU soil labs. And get that out of the way also, because that if you have salty soil, it's going to define what plants you can use as compared to someone that doesn't. Right. And then we get down to the third part of the plan, which I actually think it's the most fun part that is picking the plants, but also maybe the most challenging, because sometimes the things that you really love aren't going to grow well where you want to put them. It really can be challenging, especially for those who like to spend time outdoors or that are plant nerds or just really like, you know, really unique, beautiful things. Because as you found out, you know, you have a spot and you may have your heart set on something and then you find out it may not be the best plant because it's not completely adapted to where you want to grow it. Yeah. And that's where you talk about this all the time. You really need to do your research, especially when you're spending a lot of money, say on a tree. It Yes. Because specimen trees, you know, if you have an expensive home and an expensive landscape, you can foreseeably spend over a thousand dollars a tree and even much more than that. And you really need things that are going to survive because it's just sickening to get all of your plants in and then a year or two years down the road, see half your trees decline. And I have seen this several times because either they weren't taken care of or they were just the wrong plants, the wrong trees for the situation. 
A lot of times when we were talking about water-wise, people think, hey, we're talking about getting rid of all of your lawn. But that's not necessarily the most practical thing to do. That's no. your fourth principle. No. You know, I have areas of my yard that are in grass right now because my kids play out there most of the summer. But I'm already, because my kids are getting older, my youngest is 11. And, you know, over the next three or four years, he's probably going to start playing more video games more school, you know, get a job and things. And so it'll become less important for me to have those turf areas. And so I already have plans for removing a lot of it. And I want to put in some areas like Andrea's done on the north side of my house to where we'll have a fire pit and patio areas that we can just enjoy the yard still and have far less turf because turf needs to be in areas that is going to be used. Mm -hmm. And if the only time that turf gets used is when you mow it, those that's a likely area that to have the turf removed or not put it in because you can actually save time and money by not installing that turf. If you do your plantings correctly as shrubs and perennial beds. Right. So, and then mulch it is a big factor when you're planning water-wise landscaping. It is. And this is another one that I've been doing a little bit of research on the impacts of organic matter in the soil and covering the soil with some sort of mulch. And a mulch area, or let's say that you have a garden and, you know, people are always saying, what can I do to improve the soil? You know, is there a magic potion? And the magic potion is compost. And once you have compost in your soil and it has a chance to break down a little bit, your soil can hold up to about a quart and a half more water per cubic foot than soil without it. And so that also creates drainage, though. And so that's part of it. But then the mulches themselves, they can be rock mulch or something like bark mulches, will also help conserve a lot of water. They also keep the soil cooler. And during the summer, you may get more root growth because of the cooler temperatures and healthier plants. Right. And then you have to maintain this garden. So, of course, water has to be a part of that. So uh, the final principle here is uh, irrigation. It really is. So water-wise irrigation is a combination of traditional irrigation practices, you know, like our lawn sprinklers combined with areas like your flower beds and even your shrub beds in different types of what we'd call drip irrigation. Mm -hmm. And so you're still using a lot of irrigation principles that have been around, but you are planning where your turf is going to be as compared to shrub beds, trees, gardens, so that you can watch water each of them according to their needs. And you can reduce your water use by 40 or 50 percent by doing this. And as we move forward, water is just going to get more and more expensive and less available. And to just save our pocketbooks, it's going to become very important to have your your sprinkling system well-planned and well-maintained to save that money. 
right? We have just basically just touched on all of these principles, but you can find a very detailed article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. And the video that we put together on this uh, WaterWise Garden will be up later today. You can check that out as well. We need to take a break. The number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Phone lines are open, and you can text us at 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse Show. It's a chilly one. Maria and Ton with you. We're taking your calls right now. Phone lines are open at 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. Ton, I wanted to focus a little more on some of those principles of water-wise landscaping that we've been talking about. And the one I want to talk about is the one that I mentioned that I think is the most challenging, and that is plant selection. What is the best way for people? I mean, there are so many plants. I think it gets overwhelming. What do you suggest for folks who are trying to decide different plants for their yard? You know, instead of just wandering the local garden center or Home Depot or Walmart, as the case may be, what I would look at first is the soil. And, you know, we mentioned earlier about making sure that the the soil isn't salty or excess, have excessive amounts of clay particles in it. And once you know you have an acceptable soil or the kind of soil you have, the other two things to look at are the sun exposure. You know, this is, is at the south side of the house, but I want to put hosta there. That's not going to work. And then also, you, know, you need to look at winds, if it will tolerate a lot of winds, um, and then the size. And so, you know, a lot of times people will roll into a garden center and see these cute little trees. You know, just look how cute that is. It has blossoms on it. We're going to name it Penelope. We're taking it home. And then they plant it. And 10 years later, they have found out that that cute little dainty tree is going to get 25 or 30 feet tall. And they've put it a foot and a half away from their home. And so it's obscuring windows growing over their porch, or they found a cute little tree that they put in the park strip that they find out is going to get 40 feet tall. So you really need to look at the eventual size of what you're considering before, or what your size limits are. You know, can it get 10 feet tall? Can it get five feet? You know, do you have room for a 30 or 40 foot high tree? And so you really need to know ahead of time how big something can get. 
Yeah, we don't want to take the fun out of it. You know, we don't want to make it hard work, but you're making work for yourself if you don't plan ahead on size because you're going to end up moving things or planning new things or continually cutting them back because they're too large for the space that you've you've uh, selected to plant them in. Yes, it really can be a problem, but you're also, by doing this homework ahead of time, making your job easier. Because then, you know, even though you really like that beautiful plant, it won't work because it either won't tolerate the soil, it won't tolerate the, the sun or wind, it won't tolerate the, uh, you know, just different aspects, or it may just get too big. And so once you go through these, it really helps you narrow down something that will work. And then you are going to the garden center to do your wandering, looking online, you know, a different, like the USU tree browser or different programs to find something that will fit the bill. And so that, you know, by going through this, yeah, something that you really wanted may not work there, but at least you've saved yourself a lot of heartache down the road because you won't have to remove that plant. All right. The other thing I've noticed about my landscape plan, um, the landscape architect has been very specific about types of mulch around certain plants, um, which I thought, you know, mulch is not mulch, is, right? It's not all the same. It's not. Anything that covers the soil can be considered a mulch. And so plastic, you know, you see farmers will put plastic down when they're growing vegetables, in, you know, especially if it's watermelons or tomatoes or you know, cucumbers and things to help hold weeds down and hold water in the soil. So that can be considered a mulch, but there are many plants that will do just fine with either rock or say bark mulch. But if you were wanting some of the very beautiful native plants, you know, let's say that you're going to put in mountain mahogany, which in the wild looks kind of rangy and scrubby, but if you give it just a little bit of pruning, can be every bit as formal as dogwood. But if you put a couple inches of bark mulch around the mountain mahogany, you may accidentally cause root diseases. And so the mulch you would put around those would actually be rock mulch because it doesn't, uh, there's going to be lower levels of organisms that may cause damage to those plants. And so you really need to even, you know, if you're using a lot of natives, rock mulches oftentimes are going to be better than bark mulch because of where the plants grow in the wild. Right. And you can find out much more about mulches in that article on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. Number to call. Phone lines are open. 801-575-8255. Text us 57500. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.